0: Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant-filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. Amen. Praise the Lord. We praise the Lord together. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 7, and then I'm going to ask the worship team to uh, lead us in that song one more time. So we're going to read the word uh, together, and then we're going to worship in the message. Uh, Worship to bring in the message this morning. You will, when you're to Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 9 through 16. When you've got there, if you'll stand with me. We'll look at the word of the Lord together we'll pray and we'll worship we'll go to the message. Stephen remember is preaching here uh, sharing with uh, those who are those who are accusing him He's kind of giving a defense of himself he's continuing uh, throughout Acts chapter seven to give that defense and so he's continuing from last week. Uh, When we left off about his discussion of Abraham, so verse 9 begins, The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now famine came over all Egypt and Canaan. And great affliction with it and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob his father and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt and there he and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of Scripture. We pray, God, that you would be with us by the power of the Spirit during these moments ahead. God, that you would open your word to us, that you would help us to apply it to our life. And we thank you so much, Lord, for your presence here today. God, we pray that as we Worship once more in song, and as we move uh, to the preached word, God, that your presence would be tangible here, God, that your spirit would lead us, and we thank you, Lord, for your grace for each one. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you all for leading us in worship this morning. appreciate you your faithfulness to be prayerful as you lead. I know you pray and seek the Lord together. We're going to pray tonight at 6 p.m. If you are uh, here, we want to encourage you to come and to pray. Uh, Prayer is an essential part of what we do at Riverstone Church because we want to consistently rely upon the Lord and not our own plans. Uh, we don't want to do things just because we've always done them because they've become habit to us. We want to think about the grace and goodness of the Lord and what God is calling us to do as his people. We want to reflect upon his goodness. We want to ask him what we should do, where we should go, how we should walk, how we should live, how we should organize uh, our church, how we should uh, put together worship services. We want to pray and we must pray together. It's not just something where a few of us come together and pray. We must pray corporately. That's something that God has called his church to do. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, a place of prayer. And one of the things that I've continually asked the Lord to do through this season is to teach me to pray. God's word speaks to us about what it means to pray. But I also want the Lord to give me a heart for prayer, a heart to want to be in prayer a heart to desire to be in prayer before him. And so I ask that if you're able to be here, if you can't be here tonight and then join us online through Zoom, you'll need to uh, sign up in order to get that link because we do try to make those prayer meeting times uh, a little more of an intimate gathering. Uh, That's not broadcast out into uh, the the, uh, open on the internet, but for those who aren't able to make it, uh, they do have a resource in order to join in. But we're going to be a people of prayer. We are a people of prayer. And it's not a fear that I have, but it is a concern that I have that will grow cold in prayer, Uh, that will Become uh, stagnant in our relationships with the Lord and in our earnestness to desire to live before Him faithfully. Some of the challenges of a new church are things that are exciting in the beginning. There's a lot of changes, uh, a lot of new things that happen, but as you sort of move on uh, historically, things tend to sort of gel into place and kind of stay there, and these sacred cows begin to form that we hear about. And we want to be a church that's always sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and the only way I know to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit is through a heart of prayer. Now, we humble ourselves and we pray, because when we pray, we realize that we do not have the wisdom to live together. We do not have the ability to live together except the Holy Spirit guide us. The only way we can love one another in Christ-like love is when the Holy Spirit guides us. And so let's be a place of prayer and let's commit our hearts to that and not grow weary and well doing and not doing that we would not despise uh, the days of small beginnings here in the book of acts as i mentioned uh in and beginning to read the text this morning uh, we're kind of in the middle of uh, the sermon of Stephen, as he is giving a defense of himself. So he was uh, sort of called on the carpet because he was preaching the gospel of salvation through Jesus. And some of the sort of higher up uh, religious leaders were upset because if, if Jesus truly was the Messiah, then uh, the problem for them is that they're going to lose some power and authority, and they didn't want to lose power and authority, so they didn't really want to uh, see Jesus as the Messiah, and these people that had had this experience with Jesus that they couldn't contain, that uh, they had encountered Jesus, and Jesus had forgiven them of their sins, these people, they couldn't stop telling of the grace of God at work in their life, and so the higher-ups in Uh, the religious hierarchy kind of wanted to tamp that down and Stephen's kind of out sharing the gospel and miracles are happening and signs are happening and they kind of get these people to falsely accuse Stephen to say, hey, this guy's speaking about the temple and he's speaking about this holy place and he's saying they're going to tear it down and rebuild it and all these things. They take his words and we talked last week how they twist His words out of context. And so they have made these accusations and Stephen is given an opportunity to be able to defend himself. And that's what this message essentially is, is Stephen's defense of himself, which essentially what he does is he shares the gospel message. From the very beginning of the history of Israel, he tries to continually tell them how you have continually, uh, Uh, turned away from the things of God. You have continually pushed back on the way that God has worked. And what you've done with Jesus is just part and parcel for the same of what you have done historically. And in his message, he seeks to develop some type of theology about how God has worked historically through the Jewish nation. And he tries to point them to Jesus and say, In your history, God has been working right in front of you and you've missed it. And here, once again, God is working right in front of you and you're missing it. And in his defense, he reaches back into the Old Testament to the book of Genesis. And he tells the story of Joseph. And if you were to flip back to the book of Genesis... That story begins in chapter 37, and it essentially starts in 37. There's an interlude in 38, and from 39 through the end of uh, the book of Genesis in chapter 50, it's this unfolding story of Joseph and the Israelites in Egypt. So what here takes about 12 or 13 chapters to tell, Stephen condenses down in just a few verses. And so to give us some context, I want to sort of reach back into Genesis to sort of expand to you the story of what's going on, and then we'll look at how Stephen frames it to uh, his accusers. So if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 37, uh, Joseph is uh, the grandson of Abraham. There was Abraham who God gave the promise that he was going to be an inheritor of the land, the land that today uh, is uh, Israel. Uh, God gave a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be the inheritors of that land. So uh, Israel ceased to be a nation and then came back into being a nation again in the 50s, something that really had been unheard of. So as evangelical believers, when we see the nation of Israel sort of come back on the scene again, we say this is prophecy that is being fulfilled because this land was promised way back 3,500, 4,000 years ago to Abraham. And now his descendants are now back in the land. So there was Abraham and his son Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. Jacob His favorite son was Joseph. Now, if you have 12 children and you identify a favorite among those 12, what's going to happen to the other 11? They're probably not going to be too happy with the favorite one, right? And so that's exactly what happened in this situation. Joseph was the favorite. Even his father made for him that beautiful coat of many colors, And Joseph wore it, and God even gave him the ability to have dreams and to be able to interpret those dreams, to understand what they meant. And his brothers were very jealous of him, and they were out one day, and they decided to sell him into slavery. And his father, they told his father that he had been killed by wild beasts. So there were the Ishmaelites, which were sort of passing by. The Ishmaelites were the product of his grandfather, great-grandfather, Abraham's uh, uh, trying to make the promise of God come about with a concubine. The Ishmaelites were passing by, Joseph gets sold off to the Ishmaelites, they're heading on to Egypt, they get to Egypt, and they sell Joseph again to a guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of the bodyguard for Pharaoh. Potiphar buys Joseph. And as Joseph is in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife is there and Potiphar's wife sees sees Joseph and she looks at Joseph and the scripture said he was pleasant to look at. He was a handsome individual and she tries to get Joseph to sin with her. And Joseph, seeking to be righteous, seeking to live faithfully, pushes back against that and says, I can't do this against my master who has been so good to me. And Potiphar's wife then lies about her interaction with Joseph and tells Potiphar that he was uh, trying to come after her. And Potiphar gets upset and throws Joseph in jail. While he's in jail, there are a couple of other guys in there who had gotten into uh, some trouble in Egypt. It was the chief baker to Pharaoh and the chief cupbearer. And the two of them also have a dream. And Joseph is good at interpreting these dreams and he interprets a dream favorably for the cupbearer and says in three days you're going to be restored to your position to Pharaoh. The cupbearer was a very high position because there was threat against uh, the rulers that someone might put something in their drink or in their food in order to poison them and kill them and so the cupbearer was a very trusted person, a trusted counselor uh, to the rulers in the ancient days. To the baker he says Uh, You're going to be hung out on a tree. You're going to die in three days. And exactly as Joseph said was exactly how it happened. And he tells the cupbearer while he's still in prison, he says, remember me. When you get restored to your position, remember me before Pharaoh. What does a cupbearer do? The cupbearer forgets Joseph essentially and Joseph stays in prison for another two years. Pharaoh... around the two-year mark of Joseph being in prison, he too has dreams. And these dreams trouble him. And in the troubling of himself with his uh, dreams, he asks his magicians and his sorcerers and others within the kingdom who are supposed to be people of wisdom and people of understanding and people who know kind of what's going on with that sort of thing. He even tells them to dream, but they're not able to interpret what it means. And so... The cupbearer remembers, hey, there's this guy that interpreted this dream uh, way back when I was uh, in jail a few years ago, when Pharaoh, you put me in jail a few years ago, and he told me I would be restored, and it was exactly as happened. Maybe we bring him out, and he can interpret the dream for you, and that's what happens. Joseph hears a dream, and he interprets it to Pharaoh, and he says, the interpretation is not for me to give, but God is the one who gives the interpretation, and I'll share with you what God shares with me, and the interpretation was, are going to be seven years of plenty. Produce is going to abound, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so then Joseph gives a suggestion to Pharaoh, put somebody who's wise and has understanding over the collection of food for the seven years of plenty, so that in the seven years of famine, there will be enough food to sustain the kingdom. Pharaoh says, my wise men and my, physis, my uh, magicians, they had no knowledge of what was going on. Who's more wise than the person who's right here standing in front of me who's able to interpret the dreams that no one else in the kingdom was able to interpret? And so Pharaoh sets Joseph over all his kingdom. He says, not one thing is going to happen in the kingdom without your knowledge. You're only going to be second to me in all of these things. And so Joseph makes preparation during the time of plenty, and seven years pass and the famine begins. Back in the promised land, back in Shechem, where Jacob and his sons and their family, and the famine impacts them too. And that God didn't give them a dream. Or they didn't have understanding if they did have a dream. There's no recording that God had given them a dream or given them understanding, so they didn't prepare for the famine. They weren't Prepared, And Jacob hears that there's food over in Egypt. And so he sends some over in Egypt to buy from his family. And they go over and they eventually realize that Joseph is in charge. And ultimately, as you read through the story, the entire family, 70, 75 people, move over into Egypt and live in an area of Egypt called Goshen that's essentially uh, just a broad overview of the story of Joseph. And when we look at how Stephen begins to frame this story, he begins in verse 9 and 10, and he says, The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all of his afflictions. And granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all of his household. When we look at what happened to Joseph, what we see is that Joseph was faithful despite injustice. He was faithful despite injustice. Stephen doesn't use the word Joseph's brother, and that's interesting, and it's a point you ought to note he used the word the patriarchs, who were essentially Joseph's brothers. But what he's pointing out there is those in authority became jealous at Joseph. Those who you, who I'm speaking to, Stephen speaking here, to the religious leaders, you religious leaders who put your trust and hope and everything in the patriarchs, it was the patriarchs who became jealous of Joseph. It was the patriarchs who were the ones who sold him off into slavery. And it impacted Joseph's life. Nothing that he had done, they became jealous of him. And they sold him into slavery. But there was a plan for Joseph to be a deliverer of his people. Oftentimes as I'm able to interact with people in the church or uh, people outside who I might encounter who may be going through uh, some difficulties in life, the question tends to inevitably come up, uh, where is God in the midst of what I'm going through? When someone finds themselves sort of beating their head against the wall or there's a diagnosis that uh, they are unable to in the natural overcome or there's some relationship issue, there's kind of a dark place in their life the question often comes where is God in the midst of my trial and as I was reading through the Genesis account of Stephen and of, of Joseph and thinking about even what Stephen was going through as he was here preaching this message and sharing this message and thinking about Joseph himself there's a few questions that pop up in my mind was God with Joseph when his brothers got jealous of him Because of the dreams that God gave him. God gave the dreams that incited the jealousy. Was God with him when his brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites? Was God with him when the Ishmaelites sold him to Potiphar? Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Sit in Joseph's shoes for just a few moments. God, I'm seeking to be faithful. God, you've given me these dreams, and you've given me the interpretation of them to be able to share. And yet his brothers become jealous. His brothers throw him in a pit. His brothers sell him off to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sell him off to the Egyptians. He finds himself in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him. He had nothing to do with it. He tries to push it away. He tries to say, no, I can't do this thing against a guy who is my master. And when the master gets home, the wife says, he came after me. Unjustly accused. Was God with him? Was God with him when Potiphar threw him in jail? Was God with him when Joseph was forgotten in jail by the cupbearer for two years? You know, we wonder that, don't we? When what some theologians call our dark night of the soul, when you're kind of going through and you don't see the light of the gospel sort of shining in your face, where it's not a time where you're ready to kind of run the aisles and raise your hands and shout, but it's a time of weeping and mourning and sadness, and you're walking through this dark night. Sometimes we might ask ourselves, God, where are you? God, are you with me? God, your promises say that you are going to be with me. And I think about Joseph, and I think it's one thing after the other. And it's not just one bad thing after the other. It's one thing, and then a little bit of hope, and then he slammed down again, and then another thing, and then a little bit of hope, and then he slammed down again, and then another thing, and a little bit of hope, and he's slammed down again. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, oh, I'm making a few steps forward, and now here's the gut punch, and I'm heaving for breath, and I get punched again? And finally, I catch my breath, and here's another one. I think we could say that Joseph felt like this. One of the things of biblical characters that we have to get in our mind is these were real people like you and me. Put yourself in the pit where Joseph was sold out by your own family. And then your extended family comes along and they buy you off and carry you away from the land that God had promised. And then they sell you again off into Egypt. And you start to get some favor in the place that you were sold. Oh, God's doing something. God's working. God's for me. God's working on my behalf. Praise the Lord. I'm being elevated in Potiphar's house. And then his wife comes along and looks and says, hey, let's get something going here. And you say, no, I can't do that. You're being righteous. You're acting with justice. You're trying to do the right thing. And that night when her husband gets home, he tried to push himself on me. Just when you were getting to the point, cast down again in the jail. Now here's a dream. Here's an opportunity. God, you've given me a dream. God, I've got understanding of this dream. God, you told the cupbearer and you told the baker in this dream, the baker's going to be killed, but the is going to be elevated. And he's right next to Pharaoh. He's Pharaoh's counselor. Cupbearer, when you get back to your position, put a good word in for me. Yeah, 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 I'll, pu- I'll put a good word in for you. Won't forget you. Day one, Joseph, thinking in his mind, is the cupbearer talking to Pharaoh Yeah. Day two, has a cupbearer talked to Pharaoh? A week passes, nothing's happening. Has a cupbearer talked to Pharaoh? Two weeks pass, a month passes, a year passes. It's not changing, nothing's changing, nothing in my life is changing. God, why aren't you here? God, why aren't you doing something? Nothing is changing, God. 12 months, 13 months, 14 months, 15 months, 16 months, nothing changes. Question is, was God with him? Was God with him? It's interesting. As I was studying this passage and as I was going back through the book of Genesis, when you're reading in chapter 39, when Joseph is going through one thing after another, and one thing after another is thrown his way, and there's one thing that comes after him, and he gets shut down again. If you read through it, if you, not during my sermon, but after the sermon, if you were to go back and to read through it, what you will see over and over and over and over and over again in the difficulties of life that Joseph was facing, it says, and God was with him. And God had favor upon him. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. Over and over again. 39 and 2, the Lord was with Joseph in the house of Potiphar. 39 and 3, the Lord caused all he did to prosper when Joseph was a slave. 39 and 5, others were blessed because God was with Joseph. 39 and 21, the Lord was with Joseph when he was in jail. 39 and 23, the jailer favored Joseph because the Lord was with him in the jail. And over and over and over again, what we see is that God was with him in the dark time when Joseph is finally released from jail and interprets Pharaoh's dream and is placed second in command of all of Egypt do you know what words are conspicuously absent from the entirety of the rest of the story it never says again and the Lord was with him and the rest of the story There's no mention in the rest of the story. And the Lord was with him. And Pharaoh told him his dream. And the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph interpreted a dream. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say And the Lord was with him and gave him wisdom of how to organize a system of uh, hoarding the grain for the years of famine. It doesn't say, and the Lord was with him as he began storing the grain and creating that system. And the Lord was with him as his family came. It doesn't say any of that. And the whole rest of the story, after 39, I went back and I searched. It doesn't say it at all. Does it mean that God wasn't with him in the good times? No, of course not. Joseph is clear about that. He says, God gives me the interpretation of your dream." God helps me. God understands. But why are the scriptures written? Why was Genesis chapter 39 written? What was the purpose of it being written? It was written for your and my benefit. It was written for our benefit that when we go through the dark night of the soul, God wants to remind us, and the Lord is with you. And the Lord is with you in your challenge. And the Lord is with you in your difficulty. When you feel raised up and get knocked down again, and the Lord is with you. And the Lord is with you in your challenge. See, that's what we have to understand as believers in Christ, because there is a theology that is being propagated that if you just love Jesus, and if you just kind of sing and come to church and do all the things that you're supposed to do, everything is going to be okay with you, and you will prosper and be blessed, and everything will be good. And yet Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, because you know what Joseph learned in the initial stages of his life, where he was in prison and knocked down and kicked down over and over again. Do you know what he learned? He learned and the Lord was with him. God is with you today when you don't know where the resources are going to come from for tomorrow. God is with you today. When you're trying to settle some issues in relationships that just won't come together. God is with you today when you are praying about the future that he has for you. You're not quite sure which direction you are supposed to go. What your responsibility is and what my responsibility is in those dark moments is to just be Faithful. Be faithful despite the injustice. Be faithful despite the things which are done against you. There's no indication in Scripture that Joseph's difficulties were due to something he had done. But they are all due to the deceit and jealousy of other people which were committed against him. Faithfulness despite injustice. This month we reflect upon many of the contributions of black Americans, particularly to our country. And I think that's important for us to do so. But I think it's particularly important for us to think about as believers, the contribution of black Americans to the church, those who were believers. What did they do? How did they contribute? And I've thought about this past month, people like Frederick Douglass, people that have been theologians, that have contributed to our faith. And I went home this week, and probably about four or five miles from where I grew up is the birthplace of Harriet Tubman. It's a farm out in the, uh, kind of out in the, what I would consider more of a marshy uh, kind of land area. She was owned by a gentleman whose last name was uh, Brotus. The farm is still there, still a working farm uh, today that she was born on. Uh, and she grew up in that area, and she came back and forth in that area. She was leading people out through the Underground Railroad. When she was about 14 years old, there was a young man who was a runaway slave, and uh, he was being chased after by, uh, I guess, the master of the plantation or et cetera, and he ran in a store, and when he ran in the store, the guy went in after him, and Harriet kind of went in to try to uh, protect him, and the slave ran out the door, and the master picks up off a shelf, I guess, a two-pound weight, and throws it and strikes her right in the forehead. Knocks her out, and she is uh, heavily wounded and is in and out of consciousness, history says, for a few months. And for the rest of her life, she suffered the consequences of that. There are times when she would just have to go and fall asleep even wherever she was sitting. But it was also a turning point in her life. She was treated unjustly by her owner. She was even treated unjustly by her husband. He was a freed man. And she spoke to him and said, let's get away to Pennsylvania. Let's run away so that I can be free. She longed to be free. And he said, no, no. I don't want to do it. And he said, if you try to do it, I'm going to tell your master. Treat it unjustly. Yet she prayed for her owner. She prayed and prayed that God would change his heart. She heard that she was going to be sold down into the south because he had been struck in the head with the weight. And she wasn't as good of a worker as what she was before that. And she began to pray even harder. God, change my master's heart. But God, if you don't change his heart, kill him. (laughs) Kill him. And he died two weeks later. (laughs) And some of us might say, good. But in her desire to do the right thing, she wrote later, she regretted that prayer. Someone who had done injustice, who had been unjust, who had wounded her irreparably. And she felt sorry for him. She earned the name of Moses of her people. She led some 300 slaves to freedom. She said when she crossed the line into Pennsylvania, she couldn't read. She couldn't read the words on a page. And so. A Quaker who was in one of the houses that was a safe house had written on a piece of paper the word Pennsylvania in big letters on a piece of paper. And he said, when you pass the sign and you cross the sign, you'll know you've stepped in to freedom. And so she's got the paper and she's looking at the sign. She can't read the words which they say, but she says when she matched them up and she stepped across the line, she felt the glory of the Lord upon her because now she had reached freedom. Freedom. Imagine what it meant for a woman who had been physically bound, who had been treated with injustice to finally step in and to say, I am free. But she didn't stay there. She said, Mama and Papa are back there. Brothers and sisters are back there. Other people are back there and I need to walk back and I need to rescue them. You know, I've trounced around the area where I grew up, and it's not easy terrain, 90 miles from about where she was, up into Pennsylvania, going from house to house in the dead of night, people chasing you down who would shoot you on the spot. and he, she, her sure leading people through the dead of night. They didn't travel during the day. they traveled at night. At times she said, I would all the time, she said, I would only go where God told me to go." And one night as she was being chased by people who were trying to run her down because she was, had a group of 10 or 12 people behind her trying to lead them to freedom. And she got uh, bunched up against a river. And again, where I, where I grew up, you don't just go crossing. and It's not shallow streams like you might find around here. They can be deep rivers with deep currents that can pull you under pretty quickly. And they were backed up against the river, and they could hear the hoofbeats of somebody coming, and the people didn't know what they were going to do, and she said, God spoke, and he said, cross. Cross the river. And so what did this woman do? She starts walking through the river. Starts walking through the river, and she gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and the story says until it got to her shoulders and stopped, and she starts walking up the other side, and it starts coming back down, and one after the other, they begin to follow her, and they get to freedom. Someone who had faith and trust in God despite injustice. She could have cried out, God, why did you leave me here? God, you created me. Why was I born in this mess? Why did I have to be here? Why did I have to be the one to get hit? I was trying to help somebody. I was trying to do a good deed. But faithful despite injustice. Faithful despite being wronged. Faithful despite people doing things to you or to me that is not right, that we would consider wrong, faithfulness. In the story of Joseph, God wants us to know and understand that in his challenges, in the dark times that he experienced, that God was with him despite the injustice of others. And God was working in the midst of his dark day, and God is working in the midst of your dark day. Joseph could have given up. He could have said, God, I can't take it anymore. God, if you won't deliver me from my brothers, won't deliver me from Potiphar's wife, won't help the cupbearer to remember me, I'm not going to serve you. I'm done. But he's faithful. He was faithful. Because there's times in life... Well what we perceive is going on is truly not the reality. We love to sing that song around here, Waymaker. We like that song. Because it's got a verse in it that says, even when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I can't see it, he's working. And as believers, we've got to drill that into our mind because the reality of our circumstances sometimes is that we don't really feel it or see it that God is doing something, but we have to kind of stand firm upon the rock of the word that says God is for me and not against me. God is working in me an eternal weight of glory that he would be exalted throughout eternity. And despite what I see with my eyes, God, I am going to serve you and I am not simply going to serve you. I'm going to be expectant of your plan coming to pass. Verse 11 says, now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan in great affliction with it. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Joseph's father, Jacob, thought Joseph was dead. He thought his son had died. That there was no hope of him seeing him again in this life. Jacob was in the midst of famine and he heard there was food over in Egypt and he sent his sons to buy food. And when they came to Egypt the first time, they did not recognize Joseph but he recognized them. It was on the second visit that Joseph revealed himself to his family and introduced his family to Pharaoh. And Stephen purposefully notes this in his message. that the first time Joseph's brothers came to Egypt, they didn't recognize him. It was only on the second time that they came to know him. Stephen echoes this later in a future message when we'll talk about Moses. First time Moses was in Egypt, he wasn't recognized as Israel's deliverer. But the second time he came to Egypt, he was fully revealed as the deliverer of his people. When the Israelites first lived in the promised land, Jacob's family numbered about 70 people or so. But the second time that they came out of Egypt and into the second time they came into the promised land, they were almost an innumerable host. And Stephen uses these stories to point to you and to me about how God often works the first time. Often, things are hidden. And then the second time, they become revealed. The first time Jesus came, he wasn't accepted. But the second time Jesus comes, he will be fully revealed as Messiah and King. And so you have to think about how God is at work in your life. Maybe there was a season in your life where things didn't seem to be working out. Maybe even that season is right now. Maybe your direction is unclear and you seem to be looking at a puzzle and you can't even see that all the pieces are there to put it together. You don't know where the pieces are going to come from. Maybe God has put something really big and spectacular in your heart, but reality says it will never come come to pass maybe your relationships are falling apart your job is falling apart or your family is falling apart and there is no way to see how things get back together again But I believe in God's sovereignty and in his grace. You're not sitting here this morning because you just got up and decided you wouldn't come to Riverstone Church. I believe that in God's sovereignty and in his grace, he brought each one of us here for this occasion that we would hear the word of the Lord shared with us to remind us that God is a God of the second time. God is the God where oftentimes he is working in the midst of darkness, but there is a time that comes around like it did in the life of Joseph when things will be revealed fully. There is a second time, though you may not see him now, though you may not experience it in the way in which you would hope. Please know that today he is at work for your good and his glory. Though your perception may be that God is far away, I want to remind you that you should be expectant for he is at work. When you don't feel it, he's working. When you don't see it, he's working. This is where they used to say, the rubber meets the road. You and I, if we're going to be people of faith, we can't just simply be people of faith when the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and all is glorious. The testing of our faith produces perseverance. There's a reason that you and I need to learn to walk through and see things in the way that God sees them, not in the way in which they are framed in our own reality. We can sit here and talk and talk about how horrible things are, how horrible the government is and what they're doing, this, that, and the other. And we have from, from, from one side and you go to the other side and everybody's unhappy and everybody's fussing and everybody's upset. But you know what? There is not a ruler that sets up that... God has not set him up. There's not a ruler that's taken down that God has not taken. God is sovereign and God is in charge. And God is working all these things out for his glory and for our good. And why he is working them out is one, so that you and I will be in his plan. You and I will be in his purposes. And what we must understand is that we are just a piece of the puzzle. We are just a piece of the puzzle. In this moment in time, you and I are playing our part, but we are not the entire focus of the puzzle. We need to get that out of our mind. The puzzle is not not all about you. The puzzle is not all about me. It's not about what's going on in Robert McCready's life and how Robert McCready can do this, that, or the other. That is not what the puzzle is about. I am to play my part and go on to glory if the Lord calls me. I'm to do my piece and then move on out of the way because this puzzle, this tapestry, this thing is about Jesus. And you, if you are a believer, you are working for the glory of Jesus. God is working it out in your life for the glory of Jesus. The trial that you're going through is to teach you to persevere for the glory of Jesus. The things that you are. In encountering right now is you are going through them in order that you may learn to persevere for the glory of Jesus because there will be one day There will be one day when the sky will split and the great king of glory will be astride a white steed and he will come back for his saints that we will worship him forever and forever. And that makes a lot of nice preaching and I want you to say hallelujah and I want you to run the aisles and I want you to shout in tongues and do all those glorious things. But what I want you to know right now is what you're going through is for God to work in you an eternal weight of glory. Don't get discouraged, but be expectant. One of the reasons you're walking through the trial that you're walking through is that so you will know Genesis chapter 39, in the midst of the fire, God is with me. When Jesus talks about greater things, shall we do? We like to think about it in terms of, oh, let's pray and see the dead raised or see the legs lengthened and I want to see all that. I pray for those things. I want to see those things in our midst. But the greater thing that the Lord is trying to work in you and me is the ability to persevere through darkness and not let our eyes turn one way or the other. The ability to persevere through trial. We're not getting off track, my face is set like a flint and I'm going to follow Jesus no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. And I'm telling you, in this church today, there are people who have been through the darkness of life and today they stand and they worship Jesus despite the pain. Despite the pain, despite the hurt, despite the wounds that happened to them, that was no cause of their own, but it was injustice that it happened. Be expectant in the midst of their dark time. Not only should we be expectant, but I will take it a step further. We should be grateful. Be grateful despite delay. In Acts 7 and 14, Stephen continues and he says, Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him. 75 persons in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. And from there, they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Remind, just remind you, Shechem was in the promised land. And so here's Jacob. Abraham was given the promise by God I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. And this land that you're on, I'm going to give to you as an inheritance. The land that we call Israel today. Bigger piece of property than what they have right now. That land, God says, I'm going to give to you. Abraham, his son Isaac, next son Jacob. They're in the land. Famine comes. 75 people have to leave the land of promise in order to go on over to Egypt. They go over into Egypt because they need to find food. They go over to Egypt where Joseph can take care of them. They go to Egypt where Pharaoh at that time was favorable towards them. They had to leave the promised land in order to go to Egypt in order to be able to survive. There was a delay in the full inheritance of the promised land. Jacob and his family going to Egypt meant leaving the Promised Land. Jacob, Joseph, the other patriarchs died in Egypt, and their bones were eventually brought back to the Promised Land. While good things awaited them in Egypt, Egypt was not the Promised Land for Abraham, for Isaac, or for Jacob. It was not the Promised Land. But Egypt was part of God's plan. And God worked in the nation of Israel outside the borders of the promised land. God first encountered Abraham outside the borders of the promised land. God encountered Joseph outside the borders of the promised land. And God is now working in the Israelite nation outside the borders of the promised land. You may not be in the place that God ultimately has for you or the place you ultimately want to be. You may not be in the situation that you would say, this is right where I need to be forever and forever. Maybe you're finding yourself sort of journeying around the area where you think God has promised this to you or God has spoken to you about your future or God has spoken to you about your direction. And what I want to remind you of this morning is that sometimes when you're not right in the middle of where you think you're supposed to be, God is still blessing out here on the other side. But we tend to get so focused on the area areas in which we solely want God to work, God work here, work here, work here, work here, that we fail to see God is working in all these other places. God often worked outside of the promised land. He often did things beyond the borders of just a simple area where it was promised. You may think, God, I'm not in that specific area where I'm supposed to be. And that may be the sheer focus of your prayer, day and night, day and night. And you tend to miss what God is doing all out here. You tend to miss what God is doing all around the periphery and how he's moving and shaping you for the time when you step back in to that place of promise. If you cry out to the Lord and you say, Jesus is Lord of my life, God in his grace is able to work in you in such a way that every place, every step that you take is forming, reforming, creating in you a heart after him, a love after him, an understanding of him. So that when you move into the area of your promise and the area of your destiny, that you will be fully equipped to fight the battles that God has for you faithfulness in times of trouble you know we come to church and we rejoice together for being in church together and I want to pray that this is a place where we never feel like we have to be churchy Well, we come to church and we rejoice, but we don't feel like we have to be churchy and say the church things and be the church people and always act like it's all wrapped up and together. Because frankly, most of the time when I step in the pulpit, it's not all wrapped up and together. I'm crying out to the Lord. I'm asking Jesus for something. Sometimes I focus too much on this when I should be focusing more on that. We're walking this journey together, and when you look around the room, these are real people with real challenges, with real things going on in their life, and some who are having real difficulty, and you and I must be a people who love and care and build up and encourage and pray for God to work and pray for their eyes to be open to see what he is doing. We are not going to give up on one another. We're not going to give up. If you're here this morning and you're tempted to walk out and turn away from the faith, no, you're going to have to face me or face one of these other brothers or sisters at some point because we're going to kind of chase after you. Now we can applaud to that now, but if it's one of us that are out there walking, we probably get upset about it, won't we? <laughs> but we're not going to Stop. We're not going to stop because you're created in God's image. God created you specifically for this time. Next week, I hope you don't miss next week. I hope you don't miss next week because we are going to talk about some things that I think are important for us and for the generation that is coming up after us. But for right now, I want to make the point to say, let's not talk about what it used to be like. Let's not talk about the things that it used to be and the way it could be back there because God created you for right now. He created you to have faith in the midst of what's going on right now. He created you in the political climate to have faith for what is going on right now. He created you to walk through the journey that we're walking through right now. And by God's grace, when we pull ourselves up and we focus our attention toward the Lord and we long after him, we pray after him, we seek after him, we can make a difference by God's grace in this day. There are people who are right now living for the enemy that I pray will come to this church and we will help them walk along the way. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Do not lose hope. If you will stand with me, this morning we are going to pray, and I'm going to ask if you're uh, here and you're willing uh, to pray, some of our prayer leaders just come and step forward, that you would be here to pray uh, with others as they come. I'm going to ask you this morning, one, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not in fellowship with him, you, you know it right now. You know my heart before you, Jesus, is not right. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. There is no condemnation in that. If you don't know the Lord... There's no condemnation in that. You can make that right right now, and everything changes. The guilt goes away. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you step in relationship with Jesus, there's no condemnation. You don't know the Lord this morning. Jesus is gracious and kind, and he says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you for my burden is light. That, that yoke is a picture of an, a yoke of oxen, the wood that would hold two oxen together. He says, he says I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there with you. I'm going to walk with you. Take my yoke upon you, my, my burden is light. I'm not going to weigh you down. Jesus is speaking to you this morning. You want to make things right with him. You want to make things right again with him. Maybe you say, yes, I love Jesus. I professed him. I have cried out to him. But it's been a long journey. (laughs) And I'm in a difficult spot and I need someone to help stand with me. Maybe that's you this morning and you want prayer. You desire prayer. I'd encourage you to come for prayer. Maybe you came in this morning and maybe you woke up and you said, I don't really want to go to church. But you pushed yourself through because you've been going through things that you wish you hadn't gone through. Maybe you've done things that you shouldn't have done. The grace of God is for you this morning. He's calling you for that healing because He has a plan. He has a plan, He has a purpose for you. Right now, you may be kind of journeying around the promised land, but you have to understand God is still working. Yes, there is a plan. Yes, there is a purpose. Yes, there is a goal, but God is working. God is working right now. He is working. Be obedient to his call. Some of you are wrestling with direction. God, what are you speaking to me? Or maybe you know what God is speaking to you and you're asking God for the resources to get it done. God, you put a vision in my heart. But God, I don't know how it's going to happen. It's been there a long time, Lord Jesus. I don't see anything happening. You need prayer. I want to invite you to pray as a step of faith, as a love for the body that loves you and cares for you. If you need prayer this morning, please come as we lift our hearts and worship just now. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week, and may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.